Welcome to the Clueless at the Work podcast, where we talk through a framework for being successful in your job. My name is Anthony Garone, and I'll be hosting this show with some friends who are experts in helping people grow. The content is based on my book, Clueless at the Work, Advice from a Corporate Tyrant, which is published by Stairway Press. You can find out more at cluelessatthework.com. Welcome back to the Clueless at the Work podcast. We are back with our special guest, Claire Curlin. We recorded the last episode before dinner, and here we are after dinner. Uh, we were I feel like we were just getting started in the last episode, and Claire, I think we had some good conversation, some moments where we really uncovered some hot topics. So Yes, definitely hot and perhaps heated, but yes. it'll be a good discussion. And yes. I'm particularly interested in in discussing some of the gender dynamics with you because I know that we represent two different perspectives on it and yet can always have a fulfilling and interesting conversation. So I'm hoping we'll be able to do the same today. Absolutely. So where do you want to start? Imposter syndrome, failure, gender dynamics, whatever else? Sure. So we can start with the gender dynamics. Um, Something else that by way of context, you and I discussed in the book was my reaction to it as a female reader and Mm -hmm. wondering um, both about the sources or perspectives that inform a lot of the wisdom that we read or the sort of authorities that we might read on on business topics um, and how representative that is or who it's representative of, I think is a, a worthy discussion for certain. And then the second angle that we discussed was how a female might um, sort of interpret or act on some of the advice in the book and how that might be perceived versus a male. So I'll warn anyone now who's listening that I'm reading this all through a very feminist lens and it might not be a palatable or interesting to everyone, but I think it's something that deserves a lot more attention than it gets. And just Anthony, really appreciate you uh, being willing to discuss it with me here today. Absolutely. Um, I'm a huge believer in the fact that women are just as mentally capable <laughs> in all of these, you know, in areas of knowledge work as, sure. uh, as men are. And at Melt Media, I was a pretty strong advocate of bringing uh, more women into mm-hmm. technical jobs. And um, I brought in um, Girl Develop It. Mm-hmm. We had training courses specifically for women on a regular basis on technical topics. Uh, I worked with women who code, worked with a lot of uh, women in the area who are doing really great technical things. So I am passionate about it. But if you read the book, you're like, where's the women? There's none. (laughs) (laughs) It starts out with the quote from Carol Dweck. Yes. And there's mention of Jen Sincero. And Mm -hmm. there's a quote from Michelle Obama. Mm -hmm. But pretty much everything else is dudes. So uh, I think that happens when you write a book in two weeks um, without any mindfulness around sensitivity. But... uh, so I, I feel like I'm, I'm glad the book exists. I'm proud the book exists. But looking at it through a, the lens of a female reader, I'm like, oh, geez. 
<laughs> I missed the mark on this one. So <laughs> I was very happy. You know, you gave me the welcome slap in the face um, that you discussed in the last episode. So thank you for that. Well, thank you for being open to it and for being um, both an, an advocate through all the work that you've done at um, my employer, Melt Media, and also just being willing to hear someone else's perspective, um, whether you agree with it or not, which sure. I think we do more than, than not mm-hmm. in, um, at the core of most of these issues. But um, it is it is interesting to be in sort of a role reversal of, okay, how do you give feedback to someone? We've talked so much about receiving feedback, right? Mm-hmm. Um how do you manage being in a situation where maybe you want to give someone else um, some insight and, and a learning opportunity? And in this case, it was easy because you're open to it. Sure, but uh, yeah, that's a yeah. not universal and, and sort of the other side of cluelessness. I suppose a sequel could be like clue giving, mm. <laughs> cluing people in, right? <laughs> right. Um, and at the same time, I think that something really important to note here is that Cluelessness isn't always malicious. Right. Um, And when we think about our own privilege or perspective, until people raised certain things to my attention, I did not think about them. So Mm -hmm. something that came up recently um, was my sister recommended following a thought leader um, who speaks for people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. And as I've been reading his um, content... I've been thinking about walking through my building, through my office, and how easy it is for me to do that as an able-bodied person without Mm -hmm. ever giving a second thought to how somebody who um, moves in a wheelchair might experience that space. So it's um, always something that at least I find hard to unsee once you're made aware of it. Mm -hmm. So tell me about... um Tell me some of the challenges you've faced and, and that women generally face in uh, moving up the career ladder, mm-hmm. you know, leveling up, going through the work as, mm-hmm. you know, characterized in the book, um, but not in the, like, clearly evil, sure. you know, Harvey Weinstein and right. uh, Matt Lauer and those guys. Like, those are clear <laughs> evil moves right. by men with terrible agendas. Yeah. What is it like when it's just ignorant, insensitive, whatever, the context, a normal everyday context where I think people mean well? Yeah. So it's difficult. As I said, sometimes once you see something, it's hard to unsee it. And once I got on a track of reading a lot of feminist business thought leaders or even just female business thought leaders that touch on gender issues, you sort of start to see it everywhere. Mm -hmm. So it can feel a bit overwhelming to be constantly observing these things, experiencing these things and suddenly identifying, oh, yes, that's a barrier. A good example is when um, women speak up in meetings versus how often men speak up in meetings or how often women might be interrupted in meetings. It's something I almost subconsciously or automatically keep track of now. Mm. And nobody is going into that meeting thinking, I sure want to hold that woman back <laughs> in her career. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but through a million factors and just sort of social constructs, that's what happens accidentally. So I've been trying to find ways to actually 
um, approach those conversations in a way that uh, is constructive and creates progress and doesn't feel accusatory or like an attack because nobody likes to be told, hey, guess what? <laughs> I think what you just did was sexist mm-hmm. or fill in the blank. Um, so I've, I've had to think through and practice a lot about how to bring those issues up. Tell us about constructive ways of going about doing that. Sure. So one um, way that I have been uh, pursuing is to educate myself just by reading as much as I can. And um, sort of when I think through who do I want to talk to about this stuff and what sort of information might they respond to, I know some of the in particular, male advocates that I've been trying to recruit um, respond really well to data. So how can I present this in a way that's data-driven or a database or research-based that mm-hmm. might resonate versus I feel sad when this happens, um, which in a sense is also a little bit unfortunate. Um, you and I both read an article recently called "Enough," something like enough of telling women to lean in. Mm. <laughs> Maybe we t- time we tell men to lean out and i think that feeling of having to sort of adapt to the norm which in the business world in the u.s today happens to be very male normative um can be really exhausting and draining and to feel like that work of advocating is work that has to be done by the person that feels like they're not being treated equally can be really tiring Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so tell me I mean, one of the challenges that I think I see, um, and I don't equate this to being a male versus female dynamic, Mm -hmm. but getting to what you said, the American economy Mm -hmm. is particularly um, aggressive and male. Mm -hmm. And I feel as a not particularly aggressive man, like if I don't speak up, This other person's going to, and it extends, I think, in a greater way. Like, if we don't deliver this product as quickly and aggressively as possible, Mm -hmm. then then what? The competitor's going to. Mm -hmm. And Bill Gates just tweeted, like, yesterday, I think. I wish I had had this book about meaningful sleep when I was younger and I would stay up for two full days working at Microsoft. Mm -hmm. But would Microsoft become what it is? If Bill Gates slept eight hours a night, right? You know, like, how do you balance that? I, I just as a as a non not so competitive man, I'm like, mm-hmm. man, I don't know how I would do that. And then what you're talking about, men should lean out. Like, how do you do that when the whole system is so aggressive and leaning in like uncomfortably, and mm-hmm. where there's a lot of competition? Yeah. So I don't know how to solve the inherent masculinity and aggressiveness of capitalism. I'll save Mm. that for the next podcast. But as far as just tactical actions that I would ask any male ally to take um, would be to realize that so often there's not a a voice in the room to represent women. And Mm -hmm. by the way, I'm talking a lot about gender dynamics here. I know there are a lot of other forms of advantage and privilege we're not covering in this Uh particular episode but i don't want to um 
give the the impression that that's all that matters. It's sure. just what we're focused on now. So when you're in a room and in a meeting room or even a social situation where um, there is that sort of what I would call toxic masculinity, it's speaking up. Um, fortunately, most people I know personally would not make um, overtly offensive comments about a particular race of people mm-hmm. or about uh, people with disabilities, I hope, um, in the presence or the absence of those people. Mm-hmm. I do feel like there are still many, many comments made about women in the absence of women that mm-hmm. wouldn't be made in front of them. So it's observing that and speaking up when there's not somebody in the room to speak up um, from that perspective, which Anthony, I know you do and have done. And I just think that's very impactful. That's great. Yeah. I love that the president of InfoArmor is a female, mm-hmm. that my CTO is female, um, and that they have kids, but it's mm-hmm. clear the struggle that they they have, mm-hmm. like nannies sure. or custody arrangements mm-hmm. or whatever it is, and that it's almost like... You, you can't really talk about that stuff. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. <laughs> and I don't know if they are just inherently tough, aggressive people mm-hmm. or if they're playing that part in the workplace. Mm-hmm. It's hard to tell. And I try not to treat anyone differently, but mm-hmm. it can be really challenging. That's for sure. Yeah. And I don't know what I'm like. I'm not really going for a question here, just more like commentating on it's just challenging. It's yeah. all challenging. And to treat people fairly as a human being mm-hmm. is a lot harder than anyone gives it credit, you know? <laughs> it is it's very, very hard. And I think that some companies do such a good job of role modeling and truly encouraging actual vulnerability actual empathy, mm-hmm. actual job flexibility. Melt Me is a great example of a company I think mm-hmm. that does all three very, very well. Um, but gender aside, I think you're absolutely right that we glorify a certain sort of hustle and an almost inhuman capacity for productivity, which despite however much research comes out saying sleep is good for creativity or mm-hmm. working over... X hours per week, whatever that number is from that month's research paper actually really makes your productivity take a nosedive. Um, but it's almost realizing that, oh, productivity isn't the goal in those instances. I think sometimes the goal is to give a certain um, persona or, or appearance that you don't take breaks. And unfortunately, I think that our society in many ways values that mm-hmm. as being um, superior or successful. In the last episode, we talked about success criteria. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm starting to see that change. Have you seen that change in many ways recently in your own experience? I mean, it's hard to know because I'm going to seek out a job that fits what I believe is the right kind of workplace. Mm-hmm. So the right kind of workplace is likely to hire people like me, you know? Um, And I'm not saying I'm righter than someone else. Just Mm -hmm. for me, what is right looks more like me Mm -hmm. (laughs) in my perspective. And I think everyone feels that way. That's just 
part of being human and being mm-hmm. biased. Um, but I'm glad that at Informer, there's not really like we I think remote work is changing things. Mm-hmm. I think people get a lot of flexibility, which is great. At Informer, we're not pressured to work weekends and nights mm-hmm. unless it's truly required. And it's we make it clear like, guys, this weekend. Right. We have to work this weekend. Right. Or we've got to get this done. There's a big deadline. But otherwise, the pressure is just how am I going to get all this done in a 40, 45 hour work week? Right. And no one's saying you have to do this at 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. So I think that the the flexibility of the remote work culture, particularly in technology and software, mm-hmm. make life a lot easier and I think a lot more fair Mm-hmm. in an egalitarian way for any any type of person. Yes. Just having the option. I think knowing it's an option, whether you exercise it or not. And we both have the luxury of working in jobs that can, of course, be done remotely mm-hmm. and recognize that so many people don't have that luxury or that opportunity. Um, but right. thankfully, I think at least in some sectors, it is becoming more and more normalized Mm -hmm. um to at least have it built into an an on-site sort Mm -hmm. of culture to have the option to work from home yeah absolutely it's important um and taking a step back at it i think it's also important to look at division of responsibilities so what might um be the driver that someone needs that flexibility or is working from home and i think um back to the gender conversation the statistics still overwhelmingly show an imbalance between the amount of sort of domestic duties and unpaid labor that women and men take on in the U.S. today. And it's not just child care, it's elder care and um, parental care and all sorts of things that um, require that flexibility that it's even interesting to note that I, I personally admire so many female executives and leaders because they're the exception Mm -hmm. to the norm and like you said that work has to get outsourced somehow right that domestic labor that sort of unpaid labor um but it's striking to me that that's a problem female executives have to figure out and on average male executives don't Uh, yeah i and again it's hard for me to speak to the average because i don't think i work for an average company nor would i seek out an average place sure um but in the last episode you were talking about kind of the unsung heroes behind the historical figures and Mm -hmm. um i definitely need to credit my wife for my ability to do the many things that i do and Mm -hmm. i'm lucky to be married to someone who is also ambitious and understands Mm -hmm. accomplishment Mm -hmm. um so, you know, it's it's definitely true in my life. And I think if you're in a relationship, you need to give credit to <laughs> to the other person. Yeah. No matter what they're doing, like that's a sign of a healthy relationship because mm-hmm. it's two people working together. Um, but when there is like one person saddled with a lot of domestic responsibilities, like mm-hmm. it's very unfair to say, well, look how look how productive I am, you know? Sure. Well, yeah, it's easy to be productive when you're not, <laughs> when you can just have children and they're like being taken care of elsewhere and you yeah. out of sight, out of mind, you know? Yeah. 
And I think that's so important to acknowledge, whether it's a spouse and, and or a parent or mm-hmm. whoever is supporting our success in whatever way, right. recognizing their contributions to it um, right. and recognizing the advantages that we gain and that those are so often invisible to people who might look to you as a role model and think, how does he do it all? So I just think it's um, very important and also very thoughtful of you to acknowledge that it is a blended contribution and um, hopefully not trying to articulate or advocate for one arrangement or another where a certain gender sex works, the other doesn't. It's arranged different ways, very successfully among many different families, but that act of acknowledgement is so powerful and so important. It really is. And kind of like back to that social media image where you're marketing yourself as someone who's a world traveler and someone Mm -hmm. who has, you know, all of these different things going on in their life Mm -hmm. and they have kids. I mean, (laughs) Sarah sees this, my wife, Sarah sees this Mm -hmm. all the time in the field of nutrition and wellness. Oh yeah. It's like, here's a nutrition writer and she has this blog that gets zillions of hits a month mm-hmm. and she's she's got like a youtube channel she's writing two or three articles a day mm-hmm. you know all it's like no and then uh, like on the front of the website there's a picture of her with her kids right like, <laughs> okay like one is reality and one is not yeah but i and I, I do believe that contributes to this imposter syndrome discussion that we were having earlier mm-hmm. um, in the previous episode where it's so easy to believe, well, I'm just not as smart as la- a successful nutrition lady with three kids and a you right. know professional kitchen and a YouTube channel and a team of writers. Right. Well, you never hear about the team of writers. Yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> those people, they're in the background, you know, but it's yeah. totally Wizard of Oz, you know, like Very pay no cultivated. attention to the people behind the curtain. Yeah. And I yeah. think imposter syndrome is, um, I mean, I have no idea how long it's been a phenomenon, but it seems to be more and more prevalent. And I believe it has a lot to do with that. Like we create this image of, being independently successful when we are completely interdependent (laughs) as human beings. Absolutely. And um, it's probably something that we do unintentionally as well. I think I'm sitting here going, okay, in what ways may I be doing that? And might that be affecting people? I don't have a, a team of, I wish I could tell you there was a team of of invisible people behind the scenes there in a sense, literally now, but at the same time, there is a team of people that enabled me to get to where I'm at currently. And that team is the family that had the means to educate me and the so many invisible contributions. It takes a village, uh, right? That's right. And, and it doesn't mean, I think this is um, something that's frightening for people is this fear. If I acknowledge that someone else contributed to my success, do I look less successful? Right. Does it make me less successful? No, it's not to me anyways, but I can see why somebody might think that, right? Absolutely. There's, there's a reason those those off-camera um, support crew don't appear in the shot. Mm-hmm. It's because we want to give this impression. And it's funny... Um 
my wife being on the Dr. Oz show Mm -hmm. um, just recently, being in the studio watching Dr. Oz, like in person, Mm -hmm. here's a guy who shows up, reads his teleprompter, looks at the camera, reads questions off the card. Like we never interacted with Dr. Oz until the show was happening. Mm -hmm. But all these people played a part in getting my wife onto the Dr. Oz show, Mm -hmm. right? And then to see this whole kind of universe of people, this little town Mm -hmm. enabling the this one person to be the name for the show and it's like well he does everything he's a doctor he's a heart surgeon he's a television host (laughs) he's a this and that like yeah but he's got like literally a hundred people supporting him right there's a staff And, and i'm not trying to discredit the guy i mean i don't agree with his science lack of scientific (laughs) stuff on you know homeopathy and those kinds of things but like the rest of it we you turn on the tv and it's like oh yeah that dr oz he does so much you know right because it's not the dr oz and the associate producer and the best boy and the dolly grip and Mm -hmm. it's not that it's just the dr oz show yeah so i feel like our whole system is set up to build up these personas in a marketable mm-hmm. way and it m- makes us feel like I'm not that successful. That's right. And I think that in many people's minds they aren't. I mean, they if if I walked into a a board meeting and someone asked how what how are you this morning and I'm like, I don't know, I think I'm going into early menopause and my daughter ate a frozen pop tart for breakfast and then I cussed at her and made her tuck and roll out of the cars. I was peeling down the highway to get here so I could drop her out. Like that actually would diminish my credibility. That's right. Because our definitions of success as we keep sort of hitting on here, um, don't necessarily include that type of vulnerability. But I do think there are some great writers. Everyone knows Brene, most people know Brene Brown, Mm -hmm. who's written so much about the power of being vulnerable, being authentic, being willing to uh, let yourself be seen in that way. And I think that um, it's important to acknowledge the cost and the impact of that, that yes, if you are vulnerable, you may in fact be seen as less credible, as less competent, as less successful, that is the cost of vulnerability. But that doesn't mean that it's not worth it um, sometimes to be a little bit more authentic and, and real with people. I just listened to a great episode of the Econ Talk podcast. Mm-hmm. And there was a guest on there who was saying, as a business owner, I have been vulnerable with my employees. And they'll say, how are things looking for the next year? And when he says, you know what? I'm not really sure. Revenue is not going up. We'll either be flat or we'll be down. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm uncertain about the market for the products we make, all these things. Those people quit Mm because they feel like they have no job um, security. Sure. But when this owner says... He tells his employees, things are looking great. <laughs> People stay. Sure. And it, it just makes me think, like, how and when do you, 
do you be vulnerable and to whom? Right. Like on the fir- in the first week, do you want the new marketing, associate marketing, whatever to, right. person to come in and they hear the CEO going, well, you know, things are a little iffy right now. Right. <laughs> or do you want to hear <laughs> things are great. We're going to have a, you know, we're going to have a killer year. Yeah. Well, and I think that it's contextual for sure. And it's easy to talk, sit here in this comfortable living room after eating Sarah's delicious burritos and then (laughs) talk about vulnerability versus go out there in the world and actually be vulnerable. Um, And I even, I I have my guard up as we're discussing what are some really sensitive topics Mm -hmm. because I don't want to appear a certain way or or offend a certain group of people. So I get it. But I think that there's a difference between completely uncensored unfettered openness and vulnerability right Right. vulnerability is is about um letting for me anyway my my feelings and my truth be seen and known in the situations where i deem that it is best for me and for other people to see and know those things um and it doesn't mean 100 percent full disclosure in every single context Mm -hmm. i don't even know if that's possible no um but it, it certainly does create some sort of pickles, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. That instance you're talking about. So. Yeah, and I've just learned that you don't know what you're going through when you're going through it. Mm-hmm. So I often don't share something until after I've gone through it mm-hmm. because it's only then that I could process and understand it. But when I was dealing with imposter syndrome a few years ago, I felt like this is going to be the end. Mm. Someone is going to realize that I don't do anything. I just walk around talking to people, you know, like <laughs> that's not a job. You know, <laughs> why, am, why am I making this kind of money when all I do is attend meetings and this and that? But on the, on the other hand, it's, I'm only saying that because I don't yet understand what I'm going through. Yeah. And I think th- another factor that plays into this imposter syndrome thing is this um, need for immediacy and expression mm-hmm. that we see on things like Twitter. Mm-hmm. I need to say what I'm feeling. I need to be raw. I need to be real. And I don't disagree with that. But I don't know, and part of this, you know, the theme of cluelessness Mm -hmm. in the book is that we really don't understand ourselves Mm -hmm. until we do. And when you think you understand yourself, two years later, you look back and go, I knew nothing. Yeah. So it's it's really a fine line for me. Mm -hmm. And I've learned I will only share my real problems and feelings with a specific group of people. Mm Mm-hmm who know me, who care about me, and who know where I'm coming from. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, if I feel like the whole world is my audience and I need to vent or something to them, Mm -hmm. then I'm going to feel like an imposter. (laughs) So that's something that I've had to manage for myself. I don't know if that's the right way to go about it, but it's worked for me. Well, yeah, and I think that is a really valid observation is that hindsight perspective and not knowing even that you are going through something at the time you're going through it, let alone how to talk about it. Right. right? Um, and I think that 
there are some individuals, it's trust, right? Like vulnerability sometimes requires a level of trust Mm -hmm. that the person's going to react in a way you've decided is acceptable and not run out on you or judge you, right? Um, and, And there are some reasons, good reasons for not always showing every feeling and emotion in every context mm-hmm. until you've decided that's best for you and, and the timing is right. But it's interesting because I'm thinking through like when you talk about how years later you look back on the imposter syndrome and I'm always surprised to learn someone I look up to like you has imposter syndrome, right? Because I'm like, you're not an imposter. You're the- <laughs> the real thing what are you talking about imposter syndrome right i can i can rebut that right now if i was the real deal wouldn't i have like wouldn't this thing have these more this many more numbers more subscribers wouldn't i be making more money wouldn't i be speaking at more conferences wouldn't like that's what it comes down to in my Mm -hmm. head well if i didn't spend time playing borderlands 3 you know (laughs) (laughs) i would be doing i would be making videos i'd be reading books i'd be doing this and that but yeah i've just had to learn you don't know what you're talking about like i say that to myself Mm -hmm. and as soon as i think i know what i'm talking about that's that's when I know I have imposter syndrome. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think that's the root of the issue, which is why the thir- the theme of cluelessness is so prevalent in the book because the anytime I think I know what I'm doing, mm-hmm. I find I'll meet with someone or ha- you know see something, observe something that makes me realize it's that welcome slap in the face. Mm-hmm. And if there's always opportunity for the welcome slap in the face, and for me to feel like I actually knew anything, that I had a clue, was it the imposter speaking. <laughs> mm, that's interesting. It's, I've never heard it described that way. But I would argue that um, it's not stupidity. No, it's no, no. Like, right? It's not... No ignorance it's it's not and to anyone especially anyone listening who's thinking no i think it's a presumptuousness yeah like i should know what i'm doing right because we it's like i've been doing this job for four years i should be an expert (laughs) by now but like no expertise comes after a decade yeah and also what's the line like you might be right at the level of knowledge you're supposed to be at that point in your career no one Mm -hmm. would expect more of you Mm -hmm. right you might in some instances we might all have less knowledge or skill than we need go out and get it right but it's just like to me cluelessness is just a constant state and that's not a bad thing because there's always more information to intake and to process and to add to your sort of you know head library and (laughs) Mm -hmm. well that's what i love about you you are uh, endlessly curious super smart very well read You've always got at your house like a stack of interesting books. And, Usually uh, that I've borrowed from you. <laughs> they are so interesting, those <laughs> books you've borrowed books. from me. Especially this Clueless at the Work one. This looks fascinating. Yeah, if you want Can't a virtue to signal it. to your friends, buy that book. There and we be go. Like, oh, it's by this really esoteric writer. You've probably never heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> I got a signed copy. <laughs> right. Uh, but um, no, I think like I, I see people like you who are super smart well-read, articulate, 
You've been doing something for a long time. You've worked on the practice, the discipline of it. You manage all these other aspects of your life. And for me to know that you might feel like an imposter at times, I just think it's probably around that issue of like expectation and the gap. You Mm -hmm. know, I know my tastes are above my own ability to perform at that level Mm -hmm. and given global exposure at all times to the most talented people in the universe that Mm -hmm. we know of, you know, like Bill Gates is on LinkedIn, Ray Dalio, Naval Ravikant, you know, Mm -hmm. like all these amazing, like really uber successful people. Mm -hmm. I have the same account as they do. You know, I log in the (laughs) same, like I type my username one key at a time, just like they do. But, um, you know, there's this new level of expectation in what Nassim Taleb calls extremistan. You know, mm-hmm. we live in extremistan. Yeah. You're not successful until you've taken over the whole market. Right. You're not successful until you have 5 million subscribers. And even then the guy at 5 million is like, well, how do I get to 10? You know? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's obviously a hot button topic for me. I could keep going. <laughs> well, yeah. And that's, we're flooded by material indicators of success but Mm -hmm. I just keep coming back to challenging that word but you know it's ironic again I'm sitting here preaching and and sort of talking the talk if you will but um two things I still feel like a failure I still feel like because I haven't reached this point Mm -hmm. then I and I remember being younger and in my early 20s and um having zero cash flow. My husband at the time was in grad school and I think we were living off a thousand dollars a month. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's a lot to a lot of people, but I hadn't learned to live on that amount of money, um, (laughs) with a, with a newborn at home. So that's a great way of putting it. I I hadn't uh, learned, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I hadn't, I hadn't grown up that way. I'd grown up very comfortably and suddenly I'm in this situation and I don't, know anyone I've got this baby at home and this husband grad school and we're just what I feel like is scraping and I remember thinking if I can just if I if only I could make I think at that time I was thinking like fifty thousand dollars a year uh, things would be so much easier and that number has never stopped increasing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now it's a different number right. when I get there it'll be a different number and I know I mean I read the studies that tell me I'm not going to be happy at above x per year it will not increase my happiness right right don't care, still drive for it, still feel this like insane drive for that. What's that about? There's something to that. Um, and also I realize as I'm sitting here, like blowing about, you know, vulnerability and, and everything, I've had a talk track in my head this entire time telling me I'm failing. This podcast is going horribly. <laughs> I'm not doing well. I'm not yeah. representing myself. Is right. this too truthful? Is this true? I mean, the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Right there. So. Right. I'm so grateful I had the opportunity to do Kensho education mm-hmm. for a few years because it helped me to accept myself for who I am and to live in the moment and without judgment and mm-hmm. to look at myself and say, this is who you are right now. Mm-hmm. This is the person you have to manage. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, a couple of things come to mind. First, there's a great book by Aaron Hillegas. He's a, he runs this dev boot camp thing, but well before that was a term. He's run this OS 10 programming thing. And the first edition of his OS 10 programming book 
says he had a friend named Rock. Mm-hmm. And Rock was a um, astrophysicist or rocket scientist, like a literal mm-hmm. rocket scientist. And he got he he felt like such a failure all the way to getting his PhD. And he got a PhD in like astrophysics. Wow. And then when he started programming with Aaron, mm-hmm. he said, I must be so stupid. I just don't understand this. And then he said to himself, you know what? I have a PhD <laughs> in astrophysics. <laughs> I'm not stupid. This is just hard. Yeah. <laughs> and that story like really wow. reframed how I, how I feel about things that are very difficult. Mm-hmm. Instead of feeling like I'm a failure, I now just think this is just hard. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. Secondly, the word just, anytime, if I'm going to use it, I'm being defensive. And I've learned that just hearing my kids. I just want to watch a show. <laughs> I just wanted a sandwich. I just was. It's like, we do that too as grownups. Right. Like right. I, I've said just several times in the last minute, but I have a sensitivity to that. So mm-hmm. there are words that I've tried removing from my vocabulary. Even when I type, I'm, I'll you know screen read what i'm what i'm saying and then Mm -hmm. i go back and edit it but yeah like it's not i'm not dumb it's hard Mm -hmm. using the word just is a tell it's a signal Mm -hmm. that i'm being defensive and i had another thing but it's not coming to me (laughs) (laughs) well i think that um I'm glad we all feel equally inadequate here. That's great. Good to be in good company. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) And another thing I think that you do well that I take inspiration from, and I hope other people listening will too, is even though you fully and freely admit in the book that you, you feel like an imposter at times or you are clueless or... Kind of towards the end, you're like, by the way, anyone who writes a self-help book should not be trusted. <laughs> I'm like, why did I just spend 200 pages with this guy? <laughs> I didn't force but you. <laughs> it's because you're my friend. I know you. I respect you tremendously. Thank but you. one thing that I think you inspire me and as I said, hopefully others to do is just do it. Like, yeah. okay, so you feel like a fraud. You feel like a, an idiot or a, a uh-huh. failure or you feel fearful or whatever it is. But I think the difference between you and most other people I know is like, you're still going to write that book and you're just going to do it. Yeah. Knowing it's not going to be a thousand percent perfect or hit a Mm -hmm. certain sales number. Like you don't let that cluelessness um, stop you. You know why? I turned that imposter syndrome thing around and I realized most people fail. Mm Mm-hmm. The odds of anything succeeding are so low. Mm-hmm. No one's going to listen to this. No one's yeah. going to read this book. You know, <laughs> like that's that's the approach I take. Mm-hmm. And instead of having anxiety about someone actually reading out reading it, because that to me is a presumptuous expectation. Mm-hmm. I just think I want to do it. No one's going to read it. Anyone who does, it's their own fault. You know, because <laughs> I'm not good at promoting and getting the word out, so they're not going to hear it from me. <laughs> And yet but it's, it's doing so well because it actually is a really doing valuable message. I'm surprised at how well the sales have gone. So, um, it's not that I have low expectations for myself. Like I, it, these are the transformations in my mind. Mm-hmm. I don't, I no longer think I'm dumb. I think things are hard. Yeah. I no longer think I'm unsuccessful. I think the probability of being successful in a, you know, a significant monetary 
or volume way mm -hmm. are very low mm -hmm. and it's very hard. Um, I no longer think like that I have this, this represents who I am. Mm -hmm. I now think this is a product of who I am mm -hmm. and I am a person who makes these things. And if someone has a problem with that, that's okay mm -hmm. because they're doing their thing. Right. And so I no longer like, it's like the truth will set you free. Mm -hmm. The truth to me was the statistics and the reality that you can't be dumb after getting a master's degree and leading departments with dozens of people and being responsible for budgets of tens of millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. Dumb people don't get that. Even though I feel dumb at times, I really do. I have to tell myself, you're not dumb. This is hard. And it's transformed the way that I, I work. Yeah. This video doesn't suck. It just probably won't perform as well as all the others that you make. Or if no one watches this, it's not a failure because you're having fun making it. Right. So the, I really had, and I mean, this is serious work. This is, this is not like a mantra I wrote on a post-it note that I look at once every three months. This yeah. is like every day telling myself for hours, you're not dumb. This is hard. Yeah. So it's, it's significant mental work and it's Sisyphusian big yeah. time. Yeah. If you have a Twitter account. That boulder weighs more and more every single day. I'm sure. <laughs> Heavy is the head that wears the crown, right? right. <laughs> like, and all the success that's brought by this this book could, you know, in, in some situations turn into more stress and more exactly. anxiety. Yeah. And I think I, it's it's. I'll helpful. tell you the truth. This Make Weird Music Patreon I have, I have tremendous guilt when I don't mm. deliver because there are people who are paying money. Yeah. I think every day about canceling that Patreon ending it i've turned off payments for the last two or three months like really i just i it, it's too much it's like i'm not in the, it for the money you know? power of reciprocation yeah i read once that a uh, good way to build relationships <laughs> is to do someone a favor because they'll feel so compelled to reciprocate that they'll shut down their patreon account after two months <laughs> if they don't so i think that's uh you must be listening to some very wise thinkers <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'm getting very <laughs> uncomfortable. I'm sweating. I know, man. When people start <laughs> quoting you to yourself, that's when that's when you know you're successful. <laughs> I want you to know the very first quote in my new book is my own. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I quote my old my introduction from this book. The new introduction really? starts with I usually hate introductions. <laughs> <laughs> can't wait to read this it's turning into a russian nesting doll of anthony references <laughs> this new book is going to be good but uh i believe in it um but that's a topic for another day so yes, clara is. uh thank you so much i feel like this was a really productive and helpful discussion honestly i am sweating like i think some truth was shed some vulnerability was uh, was expressed here that's good likewise and i appreciate the chance to come here and join your family and join you for a couple of these episodes and just thank you for caring enough to do all of this work you do for yourself and for your friends and now through um, Make Weird Music and your writing and, and other projects, so many projects you've got going, the broader community. Um, I really, really admire and value that about you and your desire to make us all better. So thank you. Thank you. Now let's go tell the truth and thank my wife 
who's been inside with the kids, who made dinner tonight. Let's yes. thank her for making this happen. We love you, Sarah. <laughs> thank you. We'll go do it in person. Yes. <laughs>